Good evening, baseball fans. It is time once again to run the bases. I am Tucker Wells, joined as always by Coach Jordan Bounds. Coach, how are you? Good, sir. Pretty good. How are you doing, Tucker? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. First day of spring training uh, split squad games today. Um, the Phillies got beat by a 1AA team in college. How do you feel about that? Uh, I'll tell you something. Tampa is a powerhouse in uh, college uh, baseball and people don't realize that uh, what a great day for those kids doesn't mean anything to the Phillies true true well we are uh, <clears throat> well we are doing a special today uh, very excited about this we're talking about the great villains of uh, Major League Baseball and before we get into our list we need to qualify we're gonna be talking about players and they're going to fall into a variety of different categories. So, Coach, why don't you start us out? What is what? What do you think of when you think of the word villain? Well, when you think of the word villain, I mean there is this mythical image of a 19th century mustached uh, kind of prototype for Snidely Whiplash, who is uh, throwing some sort of illegal pitch by the mighty Casey and jumping on George Wright's leg as he slides across the plate. Uh, I mean, he is what we think of as this kind of... Dastardly uh, character? Yeah, a dastardly character. Perhaps Maybe all... who has Eastern European roots, you know, or whatnot. <laughs> and all intentions are for, for fixing the game. And... And, and and just being just downright nasty. Yeah, so we're looking at a at a, a Mr. Plain view. There will be blood, but on a baseball diamond. Right, right. But I mean that that's the stereotype that we have. But I mean, we recognize that the villains that are in our own uh, baseball existence don't have many of the characteristics that we would associate with the uh, kind of Joseph Campbell type of villain. Yeah, and they truly do evolve over time, and uh, revisionist history makes some more villain vilified than others. Right. So, well, where shall we begin? All right, well, uh, I think, first of all, as baseball has that kind of parallel with American culture, I think you have to recognize the first villains in baseball as being the racist villains as race is has to be a parallel to everything that's gone on in a, uh, American history or the uh, history of the United States. Uh, I think you have to look at the what we would consider to be racist in baseball as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, look no further than in the 18, uh, 1800s, you have Cap Anson. Uh, Cap Anson, uh, who... It disallows play with teams that included black ball players, but I, I and there are all sorts of races throughout baseball history. Uh, country slaughter, stepping on uh, Jackie Robinson's shin as he crosses first base two feet after the or uh, two uh, complete ticks after the the catch. The Bobby Bragans, the Dixie Walkers, uh, the. Uh, the Thai Cobbs, my goodness. Uh, yet, I think if we really looked at this accurately, uh, if revisionist history could have shown uh, what the racist climate was in the United States at that time, these people would not be 
as vilified as we look today. Cap Anson, we see what he sets up the color barrier. So would anybody, he was the best player in the game at that time. That's why he did. Uh, if there was somebody else, if Eddie Plank had been uh, the biggest player in baseball, he perhaps would have done the same thing. Uh, I, I think, and that's not excusing these people, uh, but the um, qualifying. Yeah, right. Well, it's not even that. I mean, there were there have been horrendous uh, racial. Uh, what's the name of the Philadelphia Phillies manager that was so unmerciful? And, Chapman. Uh, Chapman. Yeah. Uh, the and Judge Kennesaw Landis. My goodness, all of these people are. Uh, racism is as much a part. Uh, it's not to excuse it. Uh, it was as much a part of uh, Major League Baseball as it was a part of the American culture at that time. True. And yeah, in that era, you could, if you put everybody's personal uh, politics and beliefs on the table, you'd have a whole host of villains in, uh, in, in, in at your hands. But at the time, wasn't viewed. You know, that was that was the nature of that time period. The whole so. thing where Cobb goes into the stands and beats uh, the person without two legs, uh, you know, to a pulp and is cleaning them and everything else. He gets. Ban Johnson suspends him from the game, and the rest of the Tigers, uh, who can't stand their own teammate Ty Cobb, they abhor him. Uh, yet they stand with him at this time because the fan called him a part inward at that time. Thus, uh, they believed that Cobb was justified going up and beating this double amputee into a pulp. Oh my goodness! <laughs> well, we could do a whole a whole several hours on just Ty Cobb. Yeah, you I, think? Yeah. I think so. He really is, though, a poster child for a villainous baseball player. I think so, but maybe a little overlooked. Um, overlooked? I mean, or, or overdone. But but go ahead. Let's go to something else. Yeah, so uh, let's let's take it to the next category. So you kind of have to, to, to put the, early, the late 1800s, early 1900s into more of a cultural, we're talking cultural villains. Right. And as far as their beliefs. So what about in between the lines? All right, uh, you have the surly competitive, uh, and by this I mean the the people that were just so downright nasty that you felt like there had to be something wrong with them uh, in a psychological standpoint. Uh, the Bob Gibson who refuses to talk to his catcher at an All Star game uh, because <laughs> he's it sometimes. Uh, the the Will Clark who always had an expression on his face that made John Gruden look like a, a flower child. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Billy Martin, uh, who Doris Kearns Goodwin, of all people, in her memoir, uh, Wait Till Next Year, talks about as the one person in her life who she really hated. Uh, the Frank Robinsons, and oh my goodness, the Pete Roses, uh, the Ty Cobbs, the Johnny Evers. Uh, there have been all kinds of people that were just like nasty people on the on the field, uh, particularly if they were playing on a different team. Yeah. How, what do you think about that as far as their overall villainous standpoint? Because, you know, they were uh, uh, Bob Gibson, you know, a, a revisionist on Bob Gibson is just that he's one of the greats. You know, and that he was just overly competitive. But do you 
you know, when you think villain, it's a negative connotation. Do you think that Bob Gibson has a negative connotation associated with him? No, well, see, that's such a personal thing, and I think we'll talk about that later. I mean, but there are people like Willie McCovey, who was a villain in my life, but from what I understand, it was a prince of a human being and has uh, just a, a teddy bear, you know, of a person, but... And I, I villainized him, you know, because he beat whatever team I was pulling for like a pulp. Right. Same with Pete Rose, yeah? Uh, well, Pete Rose got more going on than that. Right, exactly. Um, you know, got to mention um, Pedro Martinez in the Surly competitive. Um, oh, I don't think so. No? I don't think so at all. Pedro was always laughing and smiling. I don't think of him as Surly at all. I think of him as a lot of things, but not Surly. Yeah, and do you think of these surly competitive as the ones that were the most successful in their surly competitiveness? Well, there was that one. one makes them a great. No, Billy Martin was not the most successful, you know, of his time as a utility infielder. He was just a mean guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, from that you have, uh, in beyond competitive, you have those that are just downright surly. Right. I mean, the Jim Rice's, the Dick Allens. The Sal, the Barber, Magleys uh, of that time. Uh, I, I love one of my famous, my favorite quotes ever by a major league ball team was uh, when Dick Allen, they asked him about what he thought about AstroTurf, and he says he doesn't like playing on anything that his horses won't eat. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Dick Allen, I really don't think he liked baseball. But he was just really good at it, and he made a lot of money at it. Fair enough. Uh, who else do you have that was just downright surly? Well, we know Jim Rice and Magley, Daryl Evans, uh, you know, the Braves. There have been a lot of people that are, you know. and But whereas Daryl Evans was not that much of a villain to us, he certainly had to be to other people. Yeah. So as you move into the later part of the 20th century, you start getting into uh, two different eras of drug use. Um, let's start with the uh, uh, recreational illegal drugs. Do you find uh, those that engaged in cocaine and whatnot as as villain characters the in the 70s game of baseball? And we are family, and uh, all of these the the pirate stuff where seemingly and and let me let me say this too. Uh, and I've never really thought about this, but the the poster children for uh, the cocaine use was the pirate team uh, of the late 70s, the We Are Family, where uh, Dave Parker and uh, Doc Ellis and all these people. But that was also the most successful, primarily African-American team of all time, too. And so there was kind of a cultural uh, stigma put on them where nobody would really say it, but yeah, you got all you get a team of all black guys to see what's going to happen. <laughs> well, drugs and baseball make the most uh, uh, dastardly characters than any other of the major sports because certainly basketball players in the seventies were doing their fair share of blow and whatnot. Uh, and every <laughs> sport, you don't think that uh, <laughs> there that football players have maybe done some human growth hormones you don't think you know i mean my right and we'll get to that but did uh, you did you you know a lot of people uh cite the 1986 new york mets as the bad guys across the board 
Did you view them as the bad guys uh, because of you know their play on the field or because of their personal life? Or did you agree with that title at all? For wait, wait, did we just like forget the rest of the PED stuff? Did we we haven't gotten to that yet. Oh, we We're coming to that. We're still in the you know the. The, the drugs is the recreational drugs era. You mean so. the strawberry and good and stuff? No, that's just yeah. tragic in that, that respect. I don't, uh, when you're talking about those kind of recreational drugs, they are not going to make you a better ball player. They might in your own mind for a moment or two, but that wouldn't last long. And uh, what happened to the, uh, as much as I hated the Mets, when you see what, Gooden, when he started out, was uh, as good as anybody could have possibly been. Uh, and, and that what happened to him is just tragic. It's tragic, yeah. You didn't, you, you don't think back in, uh, on Doc Gooden and think, ah, he got what he deserved because he was oh, such a. No, no, no. Right. So that yeah. brings us now to the steroid era, the most, uh, the, the more famous of the drug eras. And. Quite an interesting mix, uh, and, and all of whose opinions of which have changed given, you know, our recent revisionist history. So how do you have the steroid-era villains broken down? Well, I think, first of all, Bonds and Clemens are in a category unto themselves. I mean, uh, whereas there are other categories that both of them fit into. Uh, I mean, Clemens was a headhunter, uh, which is a category unto itself. And uh, Bonds and Clemens both fit into the ego villains, uh, but uh, they are look they're different than everybody else. You have some of the PED users are just forgotten. Uh, we don't are, are forgiven, I should say. Uh, forgiven Pettit, and forgotten. Well, well, Pettit has been free. They're going to retire Pettit's number. Uh, Giambi is looked upon in Cleveland as one of the great grand old players of the game. Right. Uh, A mentor. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, What a great mentor. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, And to a lesser extent, McGuire, you know, I mean, he's forgiven. He'll pay. He won't get into the hall. We'll, We'll punish him that way. But, you know, he's a good guy. I look at McGuire as more of just a fallen hero. I don't even cast the the negative connotation he, he he strikes me as a fallen hero he's like this paul bunyan mythic uh, american hero figure that just fell from his pedestal and and is the most humanized of this group of wow. of the steroids poster house to me at least so <laughs> okay to you. but but more so because he's been forgiven whereas bonds and clemens clearly have not well, been no, forgiven. yeah they're not uh we have another group that are just forgotten uh Rafael Palmero pointing his finger, you know, at Congress and all that stuff. But if you look at his stats, oh my goodness, you know, uh, what, five hundred home runs, uh, three thousand hits, you know, and all this stuff. And like, who? Yeah. Rafael Palmero. What? What? You know? And he, uh, he only gets mentioned now in the in the connotations of that congressional hearing. Right. Right. Gagney. Uh, the greatest relief, couple of greatest relief, Gagne, yeah. Uh, it's French. The uh, whatever, uh, <laughs> and, and Manny to a lesser extent. You know, yep. people forget what Manny did for so long. These people are, are kind of forgotten. Uh, there is yet one other category, and those are uh, the ones whose 
PED use has turned them into some sort of science fiction project like Sammy Sosa, who looks kind of like the this generation's Michael Jackson. <laughs> Barry Bonds isn't looking so good either these I days. I agree, I agree. Um, then you have A-Rod. What an interesting villain he is. I think universally acclaimed villain. I don't know if there's anybody, not even in New York, that would defend A-Rod at this point. Because um, you got to think, like, with, with uh, Barry Bonds, he still has his tribe, and that's in San Francisco. You know, right, he, he's right. a hero in the respect of San Francisco. And there might be a few people in Pittsburgh that would still stand up and clap for him if they, he came back. Agreed. A-Rod, not so much. But do you really see A-Rod as a villain? Because... As a ball player, did he ever put the fear of God in you? Well, you've heard all this stuff recently about what was that signature A-Rod moment. Uh, never. Never. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, and that's just kind of tragic. It's just kind of sad again because he could have been a great ball player. Do you think that he's more or less a scapegoat or just not even scapegoat, just a goat? Like, will we just look at him as the biggest dunderhead in baseball history? I mean, certainly training with Barry Bonds in an offseason just after being suspended for a whole year, that just doesn't ring very intelligent. He had a, he had a picture made of himself as half centaur. <laughs> I, I don't know what else to say about a guy. He's like the Keystone Cops bad guy. He's Yeah, I, I don't even understand how much... How, He's the weird bad guy. He's uh, he's in that one category that I would have that I, I call the behavior mod uh, villains. So what makes a be? Well, let's go there. What's a behavior mod villain? Uh, the the kind of villain who is maybe a little sociopathic, uh, perhaps psychotic. The second baseman who spits in the face of the umpire. Uh, the Ty Cobb. The Pete Rose. Uh, one of the things all that I've noticed, all of your behavior mod uh, villains are given names that are derogatory, uh, like Charlie Hustle, uh, Mickey Mantle, and Whitey Ford sitting in the dugout watching Pete Rose sprint to first base on uh, a base on balls in spring training, and. Uh, Mickey Mantle turns to Whitey Ford and look at Charlie Hustle there. <laughs> I mean, and that's a derogatory thing. You have another type of villains, the villains who just beat your brains in. Uh, those guys are give. Hank Aaron is bad Henry. Stan Musial is that man, the man. Yeah. Uh, and these are, are great human beings from everything we understand, but... Uh, they're given these names because of their prowess, whereas the behavior mod villains are given nicknames uh, because they're crazy. Uh, right. And there are other, uh, I mean, there's crazy Rube Waddell, you know. Uh, <laughs> and, and now there's some others that fit in that category that there have been some other people that have had mental illnesses. I mean, you're... Uh, your Jimmy Pearsalls and Mark Fidrich and Turk Wendells and, you know, people like this, but we don't, uh, they're not vilified because they didn't do this kind of uh, I'm better than you type of existence. 
true. Correct. And that, uh, you know, staking with that category, um, it, it's interesting that a lot of these villains are, are villains because they're perceived from uh, everyone who's not their team. Uh, for instance, Bad Henry was, uh, you know, that was a, a, a positive moniker if you're a Braves fan. And Stan the Man usual, I mean, he's so highly regarded as a, you know, just a great ball player, you know. But uh, if you were a Cubs fan, he was definitely a villain. And for the Braves, if you were a, you know, a, a not a Braves fan, a Mets fan or whatever, Hank Aaron was a villain. That being said, we have the egos, the large egos villains out there. And uh, I think you got you to gotta give props to Ricky Henderson to begin with in this category. Today I am the greatest that ever played the game. Uh, yeah, uh, and Ricky Henderson was one of the first people I remember referring to himself in the third person. However, I also believe that the ego villains are often, we don't recognize how far above us they are or beyond us. Probably the first ego villain in baseball history is King Kelly. The One of the few games King Kelly wasn't playing uh, or didn't play there is he's in the dugout. And in those days, you could make a substitution just by announcing it yourself onto the field. And there's a pop-up coming toward third base, and King Kelly goes, Kelly in for Weaver, catches the pop fly, he's out. <laughs> uh, the uh, Reggie Jackson, you know, I, I'm the straw that, that stirs a drink or whatever it was. Yeah, he's bringing his star to New York. Right. I mean, and he did. He did. Reggie was a Reggie. Um, Earl Weaver, watch me go and throw my hat and kick dirt and all this stuff. Uh, it was all show. Uh, and some, some, I, I think a lot of these people realize that the show was uh, what it was. And I, I don't... I don't consider Reggie a villain. No. You don't think Reggie Jackson is a... is You don't view him as a villain? No, not at all. Not at all. I don't view him as a Hall of Famer, by the way, but I don't view him... Well, yes, I, I guess I do. It's hard to see a 250-something hitter as a Hall of Famer, though. Yeah. Now, of course, the standout that uh, appears in so many... You, you classify him as a villain in so many ways is Barry Bonds. And Barry Bonds... I mean, his ego ranks above egos, and yet he also however, put the fear of however, God in you. However, no more than Pete Rose. To me, uh, in my lifetime, the three biggest baseball villains have been Nolan Ryan, Pete Rose, and Barry Bonds. In that order? Or uh, with, no, in with, no particular order. Probably no, Pete Rose number one, though. Uh, another type of villain we didn't discuss was the cheating villain. Uh, of which Pete Rose is right there, you know, the person who bet on the game. Uh, there are others, the Hal Chase, uh, the Chick Gandals and Joe Jacksons and all of these people that, uh, Ty Cobb and Tris Speaker, you know, at different times. Uh, the But Pete Rose, is, that's another list on which he is the top of. Right, and yet there's, this, there's, a, there's the term cheater, there were those that cheated within the lines that were uh, considered heroes, like your uh, Gaylord Perry. Well, yeah, yeah, Gaylord Perry and the Pepper Martins who throws dirt in the face of 
the fielders trying to tag him out. I mean, yes, uh, but that's called gamemanship, and that's something different. And uh, along those lines, there are villains. Uh, we, we talked about this kind of behavior mod uh, modification villain, uh, the person whose behavior is not what we expect. And I think that's one of the things that's wrong with the game today. Uh, what's the name of the center fielder for the Brewers? Uh, uh, Carlos uh, Carlos Gomez? Yeah, Carlos Gomez. Yes. Uh, the uh, And he's the one that McCann stands up against and won't let him cross the plate. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, and, and we are all like, way to go, Brian. You know, uh, you know you're standing up for uh, the principle of the game. And uh, you're respecting the game. And you're policing the game. Right. But that's the old man saying, get off my lawn. Uh, that, <laughs> is a, that is looking at a, a time that has become antiquated. That's the unspoken rules of baseball. Come on, Brian McCann. You want to get the younger generation involved in the game, then you can flap your arm or do whatever you want, spin around, run around the bases. Uh, sure, we grew to respect people like uh, if I don't think Big Poppy is going to stand there and flip his bat if he hit that home run off Nolan Ryan. Uh, right. Nolan Ryan, the next time up, would put a ball in his ribs and that would be to nolan ryan's detriment yeah (laughs) i mean it is the game has changed times have changed uh if we want to invite a younger generation into the game we need to look at these differences yeah and that's how the classic definition of what makes a villain a good villain has changed over time as well because yeah you know you don't look at uh um you don't you you don't look at Big Poppy as a villain as a villain really unless you're a Yankees fan and if you're not a Yankees fan you might look at his bat flips and his you know uh, uh, the way that he would show up pitchers as something to be applauded and 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 you're like oh yeah that's cool and young kids think that that's cool so uh, again the definition is what's so interesting in this topic. Um, which- Let me say one thing that's interesting. I don't know how long we've been talking. We haven't mentioned Carl Mays or Charlie Comiskey or Kent Herbeck. Well, or- we're getting to that uh, oh, on a okay. personal level. Um, who, who, What players in baseball history were you – uh, did you vilify the most? Just could not stand them, hated them, and give the reason why. And start right there with Kurt, uh, with um, Kent Herbeck. Well, pushing Ron Gant off the base, you know, I mean, he did it. The the people that you personally dislike are the people that beat your home team or the team you were pulling for. And I, I said this earlier, uh, Willie McCovey was one uh, who, uh, from – Everything I, I've learned throughout the years was a great humanitarian, but I hated him, you know, because right. um, uh, I was never so happy. I, I was never so much a Yankee fan, but 1962, when he with the World Series is ended with uh, the tying run on third, the go-ahead run on second, and McCovey, who they haven't gotten out in a week, 
hits a vicious line drive that Bobby Gibson snags. Boom, ball game over. Yankees win. I was in my 10-year-old existence. I was like, yes, that's great. Wait, uh, you say Bob Gibson? No, I— uh, what? Oh no! It's Willie McCovey hit the ball. I'm sorry. Hit the hit yeah. the ball in '62, and then who caught it? Bob uh, Bobby Richardson. Bobby Richardson. Right. Oh, did I say Bob Gibson. You did right? say Bob Gibson. Well, that would have been great if he did. But yeah, right. I remember Richardson. him pitching for the Cardinals. Though. Yeah, Bobby Just, Richardson yeah. snagged the ball at second base, and it was like uh, that was great for me. And but Willie McCovey was the villain. Yeah. Uh, well, that's how I feel the, about Derek Jeter. And just to well, throw yeah, that I out never there. like, uh, G- but the, I really don't have that much against Jeter. I, I will say, uh, but you're you're talking about Bob Gibson, uh, a Bob Gibson as villain, uh, throw at your head type of uh, experience. I saw the I'm at old Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. He Hank Aaron first time up. He decks. This is the first time I've ever seen Gibson pitch live. He decks Hank Aaron right at his head. Next pitch. Hank hits 380 over the left field fence. <laughs> I was like, yes, that was one of the, one of my greater moments at a major league ballpark. Right, when your hero conquers his villain. Because what makes yeah. a great villain is a better hero. Absolutely. Or vice versa. Absolutely, absolutely. Which it, is why, for me, one of my choicest villains uh, growing up was Mike Piazza. And, you know, it's considered the greatest catcher of all time. But Oh, wait, wait, wait. wait. Greatest offensive catcher. There we go. Yeah, sorry. Um, but I don't know how many people have him on their list, but I just, you know, it wasn't so much that he beat us often and he had a, uh, ridiculously, uh, uh, ridiculous amount of success against Maddox at a time where pretty much no one else did. Um, but regardless, he represented the Mets, which was my least favorite team. I mean, they were the villains as, as far as a team is concerned. And he just was the face of the Mets. And so... You know, I, I love nothing more than when we beat them, and I love nothing more than when he just failed personally. So even so much that when Roger Clemens throws a half of a shattered baseball bat at him in the 2000 World Series, I'm kind of applauding Roger Clemens in that moment. <laughs> yeah. Of course, looking back on it, it just speaks to Clemens' uh, overall insanity. Yeah, well, I agree. Yeah. So also, I mean, you know, you got to think the early 90s Mets, though they weren't a threat to your – uh, hopes of victory, they were just a, not a good group of people. You had the Vince Coleman's and the Brett Saberhagen's and the Bobby Bonilla's, you know, throwing firecrackers at reporters, Brett Saberhagen getting accused of throwing bleach on reporters. Um, that's not somebody I could tell my kids to root for, even if I lived in New York. I, well, first of all, I'm to my knowledge, that is the only thing that's been said like that about Saberhagen ever. Uh, nothing was ever said when he played in Kansas City. But then again, Kansas City never says anything bad about anybody that plays in Kansas City. True. Uh, but that may have just been sensationalist New York reporting. Uh, I'm going to give Saberhagen the benefit of the doubt. Uh, Benia, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt as negotiating one of the greatest contracts that's ever been done. I mean, I, I think <laughs> he'll be making a million dollars, you know, when we land on Saturn. Uh, the, um, he's, you know, and I, I don't fault him for that. True. Uh, the Mets, 
yeah, they were villains. They, but they weren't as they never were as good as us. The only time in '69 when they beat the Braves and that they were kind of villains then. But it was hard to for me ever to look at a team with Tom Seaver on it as being the villains. Yeah, and in truth, we did always kind of conquer them, and then um, they never. You know, they never they never had the title that I thought belonged to us. What's the know? name of Chipper's son? Shay. Yeah, there you go. There you have it. Or one of them. Now, I would have to say that of all the different players I've seen in my lifetime, that nobody put the fear of God in me more than Randy Johnson. Um, yeah, I, well, you know, I mean, because if you were batting, he might hit you, uh, particularly right. when he was coming out of Montreal. Um there are players that have played that, as a Braves fan, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe. Uh, to begin with, Don Sutton, how long has he been a an announcer for the Braves now? Uh, uh, more than 20 years? Right. And not longer? I think. To me, he's still the Dodger that just beat us all the time. <laughs> uh, the uh, Mark Redmond. And... Everybody on Ugh, Mark Redman. Everybody on the the big red machine, Dave Concepcion, Caesar Geronimo. These are people that beat us like a drum that hit two twenty against the rest of the league, but hit you know three ten against the Braves all the time. Just so many people like that. Uh, Steve Garvey. Oh God, how I couldn't stand Steve Garvey. Will Clark, Enos Cabell. Oh, my goodness. Enos Cabell. Right. And these are names that are, you know, personalized. I don't know if anybody outside of Atlanta would, you know, know, like, you know, have that able to rattle off. Anyway, continue. Well, I mean, it's just, you know. Like Redmond, for example. I mean, a lot of these people seem to be like, these are uh, the villains who just beat your brains in. That was the other, I mean, Pedro. Yeah, I'm not good. You, no matter what team Pedro was pitching for, you know he was going to be going to have the advantage against us that game. He was, Man. yeah. He he's he's respected. That's how I feel about the big unit. Is that they're you know you just you never wanted to face them because they were that good and they were that dominant and they were that you know they had that uh, aggression. Um, you know, the big unit just looked like a bad guy. <laughs> oh, sure. He looked like the villain in a Western. Like a WWE. No, he always like looked a, like like the guy coming around the corner in a Clint Eastwood Western to me. Right, exactly. And yeah, Pedro, oh my God, Pedro, every time he pitched, you thought he was going to, he, he was always coming inside. You know, he looked like he was coming. He was a headhunter, which is yeah. an, uh, another type of villain we haven't talked about. But headhunters are uh, a class all unto themselves. You know, uh, Nolan Ryan and Pedro and Clemens. You know, the uh, the uh, Herb Score. You know, who killed? You know, or no, it wasn't uh, it wasn't Herb Score. Herb Score is the left-handed for the Indians. Uh, Carl Mays. Carl Mays. Yeah, the guy who kills Chapman. Um, who was noted as a headhunter. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Brown sneaks onto that list for me as well, but he also falls into the category of just a not a likable person. Right, right. Yeah. And then you also have um, in the headhunter department... um, Robin Roberts. There you go. I think he hit more people than anybody. Yeah. And then uh, I've already talked about uh, 
uh, Gibson, probably one of the best. Gibson, Drysdale. Drysdale, there you go. What did you think of Koufax? Koufax was... Koufax never hit anybody. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, Koufax wouldn't give up a strike. Uh, there are some... And, and really, to me, Gibson was never that much of a villain. He was just too good. Right, yeah. consider him a villain. Right, uh, same thing I mean, with I never unit. thought uh, Johnny Bench, uh, who beat the Braves like a drum, I never thought he was a villain. He's just the best catcher I ever saw. How about Morgan from the Big Red Machine? Same with Morgan. Morgan, as much as I, after listening to him being an announcer for so many years, uh, it's hard for me to say this, but is right there with Ryan Sandberg as the best all-around second baseman that I've ever seen, and Alomar, too. Yeah, uh, you gotta uh, mention some other personality types. They didn't put the fear of God in you, but like the Albert Bells, you know, where where is Albert Bell known? Uh, just uh, liable to go crazy with anger at the flip of a switch. He never struck the fear of God in me, but I could never see rooting for him. If he played on oh. a team of mine, I don't think I could have rooted for him. No, just a nasty individual. Which brings us around to John Rocker. Because if you have to think Braves history, would he be the most villainous Brave? Well, I mean, that you could think of. You know, we started this off talking about uh, the racist villains of baseball, and I don't think it's so much that they were racist. And we talked about how that was uh, a lot of that was from the era from which they came, but I think it is kind of a simple-mindedness that existed at this time in American history. It's just that Rocker goes back to that simple-minded existence. Yeah. Yeah, if you took John Rocker and, 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 and his statements were recorded in the 1920s and 30s, it probably doesn't make near the impact that it does in, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s. No, absolutely, absolutely. I, you know, I just, I, I actually kind of had a hard time rooting for him even before that Sports Illustrated article. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's just such a jackhole. Um, all right, so um, where else have we not gone? Did we get? Do you think we covered all the archetypes? I think pretty much so. We got about ten or so. We got them all. All right. So in closing, if you had to name a Mount Rushmore of the greatest villains, and this is ball players, you know, because obviously if we talked about owners, we'd be here all night. Right. They're pretty much all bad people right. in, a, in a lot of respects. But um, if you had a Mount Rushmore of the players that were the greatest villains all around in baseball history, who would that be? Hmm. Saying four yeah. since we're at Mount Rushmore. Correct. Um, you got to have Cobb on there. Yep. Uh, you kill somebody, you're probably there. Right. Uh, the uh, races to boot. And you spiked everybody at second base, and yeah, and you would lock. sharpen your spikes on the lock base pass. So he's yeah, he's a lock. We'll put him in there. Um, all right, I'm going to say uh, Cobb, Pete Rose. I'm going to say Chick Gandell, who kind of orchestrated the uh, 1919 fix, uh, and Barry Bonds. Yeah, I would do Bonds. I would do Cobb. Uh, I'd have to go with you on Pete Rose. Um, and then Clemens. Probably Clemens. Because, um, again, you know, it would be easy to stick a Cap Anson on there. 
Um, but you're right when taken in context, you know, if you're going to put him on that, you'd have to probably name, you know, a hundred of his fellow other baseball players who just weren't as, you know, famous. So, well, all right. Well, good stuff. Well, uh, uh, thank you all once again, for those who are listening out there, uh, in SoundCloud and downloading us on iTunes, uh, coach, thank you very much as always. Good night. All right. Good night. And for running the bases, we're coming into home and we're safe.